Well, it's a, a blessing to be back with the folks at Grace. Um, I'm Richard Thomas for those who, uh, whom I've not met, and uh, a pastor at Mount Calvary Presbyterian Church in Roebuck here in Spartanburg County. And uh, your pastor and I have swapped pulpits in light of the holiday, and so I know that you'll look forward to him being back next week. You have in your order of service our uh, scripture passage this morning is from Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 14 and 15. I want to read this for us as an act of worship and uh, realizing that this is the word of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Thus ends the reading of God's word, and may he be pleased to add his blessing to it. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, you're so good. Thank you for uh, your life-giving word. Thank you for instruction on how to live. And Father, we ask that you would meet with us this morning and that you would open our hearts to your truth and that the pieces in our spiritual puzzle, pieces in our sanctification might be laid by the powerful hand of the Holy Spirit. Would you go before us? Would you go with us? And would you shine your light into our hearts? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment uh, your family pet. Maybe it's uh, a cat. Maybe a dog. In our house, it's a dog. I want you to imagine uh, your, uh, your animal. Uh, and in this case, let's imagine that it's a dog. Uh, and I want you to imagine that all of the dogs in the world are in trouble, including your dog. And they are in mortal trouble. There is great difficulty. But, but you have the opportunity to help your dog. C.S. Lewis actually told this story uh, long ago, and he told it in such a way that he, he laid out that dogs were in trouble. And he asked the question, if dogs were in trouble and you could help them, would you help them? Most of us would help our dogs. We love our dogs. But, he says, would you become a dog in order to help the dog? Would you leave behind all of your humanness? Would you leave behind all of your relationships so that you could look your beloved dog, in my case it's sister, 9.9 pounds, and look her in the face and not be able to speak and wag your tail? Would you leave behind all of the things that you enjoy in this world? Would you leave behind art? and reading, and music, in order to help the dogs of the world. I love that illustration because it begins to, doesn't fully do it, but it begins to get at what Jesus did when He left behind His glory and came to earth and became one of us in order to help us in our uh, a state of sin and misery when we needed so much help. 
We often ask ourselves, just exactly why is it that the Lord Jesus had to become a man? Why is the incarnation so important? So that's what I want to get at this morning. I think that Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15 is one of the tightest explanations that we have in Scripture. Just two verses that, that reminds us the exact reason, one of the exact reasons why the Lord Jesus actually became a man. I want to try to unpack this in four points this morning. And the first one is really simple. We're human. And so it is uh, the Lord Jesus who also is human. I want you to look at your uh, Scripture passage here. Here in the ESV, it lays it out like this. Therefore, the children share in flesh and blood. Children is a reference to us. Um, uh Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He himself, of course, is the Lord Jesus. But I want you to notice the two words there describing our participation in flesh and blood. When it comes to children, we share in it. When it comes to the Lord Jesus, he partook of the same thing. Now, uh, you may say those are really similar words, but interestingly, in the original language, they're different. The word share here actually comes from koinonia. And we, know, we recognize this to be the word from which we get our concept of fellowship. And the idea of sharing here in the English, or koinonia here in the Greek, is that uh, we partook of something, we shared in something that was of our nature. It's kind of normal for us to be humanity, to be flesh and blood. But look at the reference to the Lord Jesus. He himself, that is the Lord Jesus, likewise partook. Different word. Uh, Miteska is the, the word here. And Miteska actually indicates something that means he did partake of something, but he partook of something that was not of his nature. It was something that was um, completely different to him. You see, the Lord Jesus would leave the portals of glory and he would take upon himself human flesh. And so we see in the rendering of this concept that there's similarity in our participation in human human flesh. It's similar to what the Lord Jesus did, but it's something that's different because he had nothing naturally connecting him to humanity, but he took it. He took it upon himself. And as a result, what he did was he made himself subject to hunger. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus being hungry? The one who created all food became hungry. Uh, The one who is all strength became tired. How is that? But he did. He did. Um, And for what purpose? Why why did he do this? Why did he become humanity? Well, that leads us to our second point. Our second point uh, is that he became human simply because he could die for the purpose of dying. Do you see that in the text? Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, that through death he might accomplish his perfect will. Remember this, God cannot die. God could not die. God cannot die. If God could die, by the mere fact that He would end in life, would, uh, would take away His 
divinity, would, would ruin that uh, divinity. And so how is it, if it was necessary for Jesus to die, that he ultimately could? Well, uh, he who was God for eternity past also took on human flesh. And so as the God-man, he could die. As the God-man, he could give his life as a ransom for a many. I'm a little bit old. I'm a lot old school, really. Uh, and I get, I get a fair amount of ribbing for this. And so even my Christian music sort of tends back a few years. Um, some of you will remember Michael Card. And uh, Michael Card wrote a song uh, probably in the 80s where he, uh, it was entitled Love Crucified Arose. And it starts like this. It says, long ago he blessed the earth, born older than the years, referring to the Lord Jesus. Born older than the years. In other words, upon his, his birth he was uh, eternally existent. But then the next line says this, and in the stall the cross he saw through the first of many tears. In the stall, in the stall of Bethlehem, he, he saw the cross. He, he understood that even at the beginning of his life, that his life here on earth was about dying. He took on human flesh that he might ultimately die. You see, it's only by the Lord Jesus becoming man that the Son of God would actually conquer death. And until his conquest of death, death seemed to have... The last word seemed to have the last word. So we have the fact that we're flesh. The Lord Jesus was flesh as well. Why was that? So that he could ultimately die. And here's the third point. That in dying, it was the Lord Jesus who would destroy the devil. Look at the text here. Um, <clears throat> that he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And that is... The devil. Now, in once, what sense did he destroy the devil? Has the devil ceased to exist because the Lord Jesus came and ultimately went to Calvary's cross? Well, no, he didn't cease to exist. So, what's the sense here? Almost all major translations of this passage use the word destroy as the ESV does here. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. But there's one translation that doesn't translate it destroy. And that's the New American Standard. And the New American Standard translates this that he might render powerless. That he might render powerless the one who has the power over Death. Now let's talk about this just a minute. <clears throat> what the word here actually means is, is to render inoperative. Now that the Lord Jesus rendered inoperative, or that he nullified, or he made idle, or ineffective. Or here's the best definition, I think. He rendered impotent as though no longer existing. In other words, what the Lord Jesus did through his life and death and his resurrection as well, is that he rendered Satan impotent to such a degree it was as though he no longer existed. Now we know he does still exist, but I love that translation and that's very helpful to us that, that it is through the work of the Lord Jesus, that through death that he might render as impotent as though he no longer uh, existed. Here's what we know is that Satan, while he's still existing, he's on a leash, right? I want you to imagine that you had some sort of errand that you needed to run to a co-worker's house. 
Now, this is not a friend. You don't know this person well, and you've never been to their home before. But imagine that as you're walking up to their house, imagine that there's a straight concrete sidewalk straight up to the front door across 40 or 50 feet of yard. And as you're about halfway up this concrete sidewalk, from the right side of the house comes a 150-pound mastiff dog, and he, uh, he's just all teeth and snapping and slobbers going everywhere, and he is making all he's worth for you and for your calf, I suppose. But around the other side of the house comes a Doberman Pinscher, and he's just all uh, just snap, and he's just coming for you. And what you realize is as they are coming to you that they are on a chain. And just before they get to you, their chains come tight. And they're on a leash. And they can't get to you. And you're able to, in fact, complete your errand to the front door of your co-worker's house. Well, this is the sense of Satan here. He's still here, but he is on a leash. And there, of course, will be a day when he is thrown into uh, the lake of fire with hell um, itself. Here's what the Lord Jesus has done is is He has destroyed His major weapon. Look at the text again. Uh, That through death, the Lord Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. His major tool is death. Not in the sense that Satan is causing death, uh, that, that, that he could just take somebody's life. But it's through the threat of death. I want you to think about this. Um, Satan knows theology. And he knows that from the fall until now, that what should happen to all of those who have sinned against God is that they would be uh, punished eternally in eternal torment. He knows that. And so he is always there to say, Yes, but you sinned and you deserve hell. And you're going to die. That's the sense of his using death as a weapon. But you know what? If you have a bigger weapon, somebody else's weapon is rendered useless. Um, Let me give you a sense. If, If you have a machine gun, but I have a tank, my tank renders your machine gun useless. And in a real sense, it's the, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that renders Satan's weapon of wielding death. You need to die. You should die. Renders his weapon useless. Now think about this. Because you can read this passage and misunderstand it or not quite come to it, its uh, intended meaning. That through death, through the Lord's death, that he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is... The devil. You see, the way to eternal life is through the resurrection, is through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But the way that the Lord Jesus would come to his resurrection would be through death. He would have to die first. Jesus destroyed death. How is that? Well, he went into death. He went through death and he came out the other side and thereby conquering it. Death is the power of Satan's dominion. And when Jesus shattered his dominion, he shattered his power, he shattered his dominion as well. Okay, so we have the Lord Jesus as flesh for the purpose of dying. 
so that he would destroy Satan and his uh, work of dominion through wielding death here. But for what purpose? There's a further purpose. Let's keep reading in our text here. That he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now that's an interesting uh, point here. Because what Scripture is saying to us is, is that we are subject to a lifelong slavery. What kind of lifelong slavery? Well, a lifelong slavery to the fear of death. A fear of death. Think about this just for... Uh, a moment. The fear of death will cause men and women sometimes to do certain things that uh, are out of the ordinary. We all know that we're going to die. Uh, We all realize this. Uh, And all of us have something inside us that causes us to uh, strive to stay alive in the face of death. Um, Well, one person can say, well, I take Lipitor. Uh, One person can say, hey, I exercise all the time, or hey, I quit smoking. Or you think about how much money is spent at the end of our lives uh, in a hospital trying to keep us alive. And all of that is is well and good, is, is not inappropriate. But why do we do that? Well, because we don't want to die. And we fear death. But the point I want to make is Jesus Christ actually became flesh so that he could die for you and ultimately save your soul, but so that you might be so aware of this that as you contemplate the end of your life, that you are going to step through the veil into eternal life, that you are not afraid. That's a big step for most of us. I want to try to give you a sense as to how much the Scripture points to this uh, and seeks to take away our fear when it comes to the end of our lives. Uh, let me give you just a few passages of Scripture, and I want, to, I want you to feel uh, the weight of these Scriptures. Philippians 1.21 says this, For me to live is Christ, but what? To die is gain. Really? When you pass on into the next world, will it be better than your life now? All the things that you enjoy, the accomplishments in your job, the the joy you you receive in raising children, all of the things that that you uh, enjoy in this world, that's going to be better? Oh, yes. Infinitely better. That's just one passage of Scripture. Let me give you another one. 1 John 3, 2. 1 John 3.2 says this, And it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. We shall be like Him? You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I say, I'm struggling to know exactly what that means as well. But the implication is, is that it's incredible in this glorified estate. Let me give you another passage, 1 Corinthians 2.9. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. We, we've never seen it. We've never heard it. It's never even entered into our heart. We, we, we can't grasp the glories of a glorified state. 
Now remember my point is, is that because the Lord Jesus was flesh and because He could die, He he came for the express purpose of stripping away your fear when you meet with death. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 2, there's a fairly lengthy passage uh, regarding uh, the assurance that we have of the resurrection. But let me read you just a couple of these verses. For we who are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but we want to be further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up in this life. Now He who has prepared us for this thing is God, and He has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident. Yeah? Are you confident? So we are always confident. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. For we are confident. Are we confident? We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Really? 2 Corinthians 12.4, Paul is caught up into the third heaven. He, he, he says, I'm not even really sure if it actually happened, if I actually went to heaven, or if I saw it in a vision. But this is what he says about that. He says, uh, he uh, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. Now why is that? Well, because it's so glorious. He, he, he can't get his mind about it. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even know how it actually happened or to what degree or in what dimension. He just knows that it did happen and he heard words that you cannot even express. The point, my brothers and sisters, is that you would hear this and say, Ah, indeed, if, if I go home in a car this afternoon and my life is cut short, or if it's 50 years from now and I die of a, of, a, of a terminal illness, that I face those times and I have no fear, knowing that I rest in Christ. That's what he's trying to say in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. And then finally in Revelation chapter 21, those verses that we hear so often, a loud voice from heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them. And they shall be His people. And God Himself will be with them and will be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Really? Do you want that? Do you expect that? The number of times that your heart has been broken in this existence. I mean, just your heart just smashed. And yet in that glorified estate, being unable to shed a tear. Not because, mainly because you don't want to. Your heart is so fulfilled. Your heart is so blessed. And there shall be no more death and no more sorrow and no more crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. I um, tell the story from time to time because I love it so much. When my wife and I were in seminary years ago, we went to a church, and kind of the matriarch of the church was Mrs. White. And Mrs. White, uh, she probably was about 85. I think she was probably the oldest member in our church at that particular time. And at one point while we were there, Mrs. White uh, had, a, had a serious uh, bout of the flu. 
and recovered from the flu. We were all very grateful for that. And uh, so our pastor went to, to see Mrs. White and uh, <clears throat> was praying with her, you know, as he was about to leave. And in his prayer, he said, Lord, thank you so much that uh, you've been pleased to, to heal Mrs. White. And Lord, we pray that you would bless her with many more years on this earth. And mid-prayer, mid-sentence, she said, no, 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 don't pray that. She had come to the point in her life where she was saying, hey, I've come to realize that this existence, while a gift from God, is not all that it's cracked up to be. And she was ready to go. This fear that's talked about here had been stripped away for her. Don't. God bless you, Pastor. Thank you for thanking the Lord. But don't pray I'm going to live here longer. And she had come to grips with that incredible truth. That in fact in Christ we are facing something that is better than we've ever had before and better than we can even imagine. But it is this fear of death that is enslaving, isn't it? Don't we have to be honest and say, wow, we have to fight that off. Uh, I've loved people as they come to the end of their life. And I remember um, a woman years ago who said, uh, who was in the process of dying, she said, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of death. I am afraid of dying. Uh, we hear all the quotes. Remember Woody Allen's famous quote, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Um, lots of great quotes about the end of life. But what the scriptures are trying to say to your heart is that as you come to the end of life, that you face it and you say, I'm not afraid. I don't know what's beyond, but I don't fear what's beyond. In fact, what I anticipate is um, something beyond my wildest imagination better than what I'm experiencing now. Someone has said this, that death is not banishment. Death is the return from exile. Death is coming home. Um, there was a little girl named Brissa. And uh, Brissa was the child of missionaries in Costa Rica. And uh, she was born in Costa Rica and uh, grew up there and learned to speak English and Spanish and uh, just loved life as she lived with her parents. But her grandparents lived in Tennessee. And until she was three years old, her grandparents had never seen her. This was Pop and Mimi. And uh, as she grew, of course, she learned to talk. And when she learned to talk, uh, they would talk over Skype. And so for a year, a couple of years, uh, they conversed through Skype. And they, they just loved that time. Pop and Mimi would uh, call. And what uh, Brissa always wanted them to do was to be able to uh, read her a story. And so over Skype, they'd read a story. And uh, at the end of every Skype call, uh, they would pray. And then they would kiss only Pop and Mimi would be kissing the computer screen in Nashville, and Brissa would be kiss, kissing the computer screen in uh, Costa Rica. Well, finally, furlough came around for her parents, and uh, Brissa and her parents were able to come home to Tennessee. And so Pop and Mimi came to the airport, and uh, they were waiting, and you can imagine they were waiting for them to clear customs, and they're looking for 
their children and their grandchild uh, to come through. And finally they came through. And Brissa comes and runs and gives them big hugs and kisses. And finally she's in the arms of Mimi. And she holds Mimi's face like this. And she says, Mimi, you're soft. Meaning, this is the first time I've ever been able to touch you in reality and to enjoy you face-to-face as opposed to a cold computer screen. Well, uh, they take the, Papa and Mimi take the family home, and uh, Brissa is looking at the pictures in the home. And Brissa is saying, well, who is this? And so Papa and Mimi were able to say, well, these are, these are our parents. Oh, well, I want to go see them. And they said, well, sweetheart, well, we can't do that because they've already gone on to glory. And they're, they're with Jesus. And Brissa said this, oh, Jesus is soft to them. Jesus is soft to them. Let me ask you this. Is Jesus soft to you? Is Jesus that real to you? And real enough to know that He he came to earth, He lived His life sinlessly, and when He died on Calvary, that He paid the price, paid everything that God expected to be paid for the sins of those who were His children, so that He would purchase salvation for you. Many of you would say, yes, yes, yes. And praise God. And if not, I hope that you'll, you'll entertain those thoughts and you'll think about them and you'll ask good questions and you won't leave here without getting that, that question solved. But for the rest of us who know we rest in Christ, is that resting in Christ something that is swept away your fear of death? Because that's God's intention for you. Not that you would live life and say, oh, I know that there's one day there's going to be a huge reckoning and I don't want to do that. And have we been brought to that point where death is not something where we see as a banishment, but as a return from exile? I hope you have. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this glorious truth. Thank You for this short passage of Scripture. We pray that it would sing in our hearts and speak to our hearts and bring about a great freedom for us. Lord, You know we all struggle with this. And there are times we get it under control and other times we begin to to contemplate our mortality and uh, that confidence begins to flag. And so we pray for help there. And Lord, we know that that help for that will be the meditation, the reading, the memorization of Scripture, and that we might be reminded that in fact Jesus is soft. What a glorious truth. Lord, strengthen your people. Make the gospel real to us. In Jesus' name do we ask it. Amen.
glorious thing it is to be able to celebrate uh, not only the preaching of the word, but the seeing of the word, if you will, uh, through the, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Hear the words and institution from the book of Matthew. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the Lord's table. Uh, this is not the table of Grace Presbyterian Church. It's not even the table of the denomination. It's the Lord's table. And so if you're a believer in Christ and a member of an evangelical church in good standing, this table is for you. It's not for, uh, for unbelievers. Uh, we invite you to, to embrace the gospel as you heard in the word preached. And then the next time we celebrate this sacrament next week, that you would come back and, and partake once you've embraced the Lord Jesus Christ. We're reminded in passages of Scripture like 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we as believers should not take the sacrament if we have unconfessed sin in our life. If we're harboring sin, if there are things that we're hanging on to, and uh, we're warned of that, that we, uh, we should not do that. But remember, this is a means of grace. This is a conduit. This is a pipe from the throne of God to your heart to encourage you and to strengthen you and to give you the ability to do what God has called you to do. To be able to understand and grasp and use the concepts that we've heard even in the preaching of the word that we might not fear the end of life. Uh, for uh, through it, God gives us the, the strength to be able to obey Him and the strength to resist sin and temptation as well. And so we take this uh, as a great gift uh, to us. I want to pray and set these elements aside for uh, their use as a means of grace this morning, and then you'll be free to come uh, as you are ready to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you would draw big pictures for those of us who don't see very well. And uh, thank you that you would shout loudly in the sacrament for those of us who don't hear well. And so, <clears throat> Lord, may we hear the gospel and see it here in bread and in wine. And would you cause us to, in fact, be strengthened. And Lord, may this not be a momentary strengthening, but may it be for days to come as we contemplate the meaning of the sacrament and its blessing to us. May it, in fact, be a means of grace. Lord, this is ordinary bread and wine. And uh, there's no transformation here, but, Lord, we do pray that you would set them aside for their holy use to be signs and seals of the covenant of grace. We ask this all in Jesus' name.